It's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. It's another episode of Brew Strong. How you doing, Greetings, John? Greetings, Cretans. Doing well. <laughs> doing real well, Jamil. How are you? I'm hanging in there. You know, it's, uh, there's a pandemic going on. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> yes, we are confined to home for quite a, quite some time. I mean, you, you've been camping out there in a, on a cot in your brewery for now for months, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come up in six months, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. My hair grew really long. I had to figure out how to cut my own hair. Uh, I literally did have to figure out how to cut my own hair. It was driving oh, really? me nuts. Yeah, when the, everything was shut down. Uh, and you, how, how about uh, you're in your compound there? You've got your forge, <laughs> and you've been uh, hammering on a lot of metal during the pandemic. Yeah, I've I've been uh, forging some knives, um, doing some Damascus steel, and uh, but as in so often, you know, when we're us creative types doing something, we're, we're more about, you know, like in brewing, we're more about the mash and the recipe design. Mm-hmm. We kind of, if, you know, get that done, we, we keg the beer and then we kind of ignore it. Well, for okay. me in making knives, I'll, I'll forge out the blade and then I'll never get around to putting a handle on it. Oh, so yeah. this time I worked very hard in actually uh, making a nice handle for this knife. Oh, sweet. It's uh, called a kukri. Uh-huh. And uh, that took took quite a bit of time, but it was very, very nice to get done. And even though I put it on backwards the first time, had to dissolve the epoxy with uh, acetone and then <laughs> remount it and do it all right. But now it's done. I've done it. So Boy, it must take quite a while to dissolve epoxy with acetone. It took about a week. Yeah. <laughs> it's epoxy yeah. once that hardens that's that's some pretty tough stuff yeah but i was able to get it all apart all the all the pieces you know didn't break they didn't get brittle i was able to put it all back together after i turned it around huh. <laughs> it was huh. much better right yeah. now i've always thought about putting a uh uh like a rusted metal heretic face sign out on the building and yeah. what i would need for that is a you know medieval looking wrought iron type of uh, metal structure to hang that off of the building? Is that something you could knock out in your forge? Let's say in an afternoon. Oh yeah, yeah, a um, couple of afternoons perhaps. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, mild steel and uh, you know wrought iron, right. um, they form a patina on them, which gives them better longevity from rust and weathering than, than what you'd think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it, it would last pretty good t- length of time. Right. It, well, then you're away from the coast. So. Yeah. I, I imagine I won't live to see the end of it. Uh, <laughs> you know, some, some hammer marks on there, making it look uh, like it was created, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. I think that'd be, that'd really be cool. fun. That'd be fun yeah. to do. Yeah. You know what else is fun? Hanging out with our good friend, John Blickman. Oh, yeah. I bet he's been cooped up back there in Indiana for a while. Yeah, 
<laughs> I'm surprised he, you know, he hasn't gotten on the news for uh, blowing something up or, uh, you know, yeah, creating yeah. creating a rocket ship to get to another planet or something. He's no he's, doubt he's innovating new products yes, and building them. In his, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's probably using this time to create all sorts of cool stuff. I'm sure he's. Uh, probably jonesing for the time to get out to uh, the conference and see all everybody and and have a good time uh he is a wonderful guy and uh, a creative guy and he's been paying for he's the guy who's been paying for this show for 15 years now whatever quite a while yeah since oakland (laughs) yeah and so uh you know it's 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 really great of him and i think one of the things we can do as uh you know people who appreciate this show, uh, tell them thank you for uh, sponsoring the show. Send him an email, uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and tell him how much you appreciate that he's paid for the show so you get it for free. So uh, uh, make sure to, to check that out. Uh, today, we want to talk about uh, sweetness and dryness. <clears throat> uh, Matt from Virginia, he wrote in and <laughs> I apologize he wrote in in uh, uh, 2012. Ah, okay. So uh, just a little <laughs> while ago, uh, and I, I thought it was such a great idea for a show. I set that in a special folder, which uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, in case uh, of emergency, all, break glass. Right for well for all those great show ideas that I wanted to get to. And then mm-hmm. I promptly forgot that I had created this folder and put these ideas in there. And uh-huh. so uh, I emailed Matt back and said, hey, oh, you know, great question. We'll do a show about it on Tuesday. And it's like, yeah, it only took eight years for me to respond. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that, Matt. And uh, Matt said, uh, I'd love to hear a show on beer sweetness and dryness. In wine, it's easy to talk about residual sugar because there's no complex sugars. But in brewing, there are so many sugars out there. I don't understand what is left in a fully fermented beer. Is it all starch? Is some of it unfermentable sugar that the human tongue perceives as sweet? Are we being tricked into thinking a beer is sweet because it smells like sweet things, candy, honey, fruit, etc.? This is heavy on my mind because my wife and I uh, like our homebrew on the sweeter side. I use the London ESB strain in, in most of my beers partly for the lower attenuation, but I also love the extreme esters. I was ecstatic when I found out about, uh, via Canyon Brewit that my favorite brewery, we used to do a show called Canyon Brewit uh, and Cologne uh, commercial beers. And that was probably back in 2012. 2012. Yeah. <laughs> that my favorite brewery, Lagunitas, uses the same strain in all their beers. If you were to submit a Lagunitas recipe to a homebrew forum website, you would get blasted for just about everything from mash temps too much crystal malt, English ale yeast, and final gravity. Yet I don't feel any of Lagunitas' beers fall on the cloying side. Um, You've repeated a couple of times the story of drinking two of Tasty's beers and one with the lower final gravity tasted sweeter to you. That needs some explaining on a scientific level. And how about the uh, fact that many Trappist beers are loaded with crystal malts, have barely any bittering, and yet nobody whines about them being cloyingly sweet. This would be fun, a fun social experiment. Post identical recipes on an online forum in the Belgian Double and Imperial American Amber sections and watch people praise one and blast the other for their sweetness levels. All right, Matt. I think that's uh, actually, you know, we rarely read a, a long, detailed question, but he brings up 
you know, many excellent points, which made, which made it very easy for me to write the outline for the show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. greatly appreciated, good, Matt. Good, good question. Job, yeah. Yeah. Um, fermentability and sweetness, you know, uh, what we always like to do is start with, uh, you know, what is sweetness? What's the, the, I, I think, you know, for, for sweetness and, and many things, there's the perception versus the actual. And right. like Matt is saying, um, you know, I, I had uh, a couple of beers, uh, Tasty had brought, I think we were doing the, uh, the Jamel show and we were doing Belgian triple, Belgian gold and something like that. Tasty I think that, yeah. brought in a couple of beers and uh, the two beers I had side by side and one was clearly sweeter than the other. Yet that was the one that finished, you know, I don't know how many points lower in, in gravity. Tasty was, you know, like, he's like, well, yeah, I brewed this one to be drier, <laughs> but it's sweeter. And, you know, uh, I imagine uh, like Matt is suggesting you can have um, a beer that uh, has uh, a lot of fruity or candy-like uh, characteristics to it that might trigger a memory or a thought or, you know, sometimes, um, you know, somebody smells something, uh, you know, slightly floral, they think, oh, soap, it's soapy. It's like, well, soapy is different than, than the floral fragrance you often find in soaps. Um, the, the same thing for uh, sweetness, fruitiness, right? Um, John, have you ever experienced that, uh, you know? Oh, yeah dichotomy of you know something sweeter but should be drier yeah <clears throat> and i think um you have to think about you know what is uh where where does sweetness on your tongue you know it's mm -hmm. it's a particular set of receptors and uh ethanol alcohol tastes sweet uh to the palate mm -hmm. and so um just looking at you know tasty spears as an example you know with a higher alcohol um, concentration in the lower gravity beer, maybe the same bittering level between the two beers. Um, the one with the slightly higher alcohol may end up tasting sweeter uh, because of that higher alcohol content. Uh, that's right. one possibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, then there's other other compounds that can also taste sweet. There's uh, protein compounds that can have a sweet taste. And, you know, familiar with many of the uh, artificial sweeteners on the market. Um, don't know how relevant those are to beer, but, you know, that was, um, but some of the dextrins uh, are typically not sweet tasting, but then they have flavors associated them with well that may be interpreted by your palate as being sweet. Mm -hmm. So there, I think there's a lot of room for uh, perceiving enhanced sweetness, uh, even with less, less sugar or lower right. gravity. Right. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, a fullness, you know, a beer that has yeah. a bigger mouthfeel, oftentimes people will say, oh, that's sweeter. And, you know, that isn't necessarily the case, you know, sweetness, it's very, very difficult in, in beer judging and just beer appreciation to be able to, uh, you know, clearly say, oh, you know, this is sweeter. I'm separating that out from, for example, uh, the hot bitterness. Um, you know, I, I think especially in Belgian ales, they will uh, lean on the alcohol 
sweetness and alcohol bitterness uh, balance and the, the kind of drying effect also, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as you exhale on a, on a Belgian and, and being fully attenuated, um, you know, then, then, you know, uh, most of the Belgians are very fully attenuated and using the example of a Belgian double versus, uh, you know, uh, American IPA, um, the, the thing about American IPA is you don't tend to use a yeast that attenuates quite as much as a Belgian strain. So right. that's part of the difference. But the Belgian strain, you know, it depends on the alcohols created. One of the things that, that uh, Matt was asking was, you know, what's left over at the end of fermentation? Well, you know, you have um, a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, longer chain sugars, you'll, you'll have maltose, you can have glucose left over. Uh, generally, glucose is one of those things that yeast take up so easily that there is none left. It depends on a lot of factors. If you are right. brewing in a certain way where you're, you're throwing in uh, a lot of uh, simple sugars, you know, during fermentation, you may end up with that glucose as you kind of overwhelm the yeast and eventually uh, you know, the alcohol level has stopped them, then you can end up with some unfermented glucose left over. Um, and there's starches, of course. Starches are, you know, a, a polysaccharide. You know, they're, they're long chains of sugar uh, joined together. And, you know, so you've got these sugars, but these, there's these long chains of sugars, and they don't taste sweet. Once they're arranged in this, this manner, they have some, some of them have some sweetness. Uh, for example, some of the dextrins, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, maltose uh, has some sweetness to it. But, um, you know, some of them become, uh, you know, these starches are, are not sweet at all. Uh, right. Proteins, of course, uh, those are left over as well. And that's going to uh, be made up of one or more linear chains of amino acids. And so... Uh, you got your starches, you got your proteins, you got alcohols, of course, and that's a big flavor component. Right. And then you've got, uh, you know, and that, as you're saying, can be sweet, it can be bitter, it can have a lot of different uh, aromatics to it. Um, and the, the yeast derived what we call flavor active uh, compounds. So um, ethanol, uh, of course, uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah. Uh, carbonyls, uh, aldehydes, ketones, um, the, right. the higher alcohols, the fusel alcohols. Uh, I, I, I rant about that all the time. Esters, <laughs> esters, of course, we're all familiar with the, at least the concept right. of esters. Uh, VDKs, you know, your diacetyl and other compounds. Right. Uh, there's fatty and organic acids that uh, are left in there and uh, sulfur compounds. So you right. always have uh, all of those compounds in uh, a beer. All those yeast derived, I mean, there's like 800 different compounds that are end, end up in beer from fermentation. And that's where a majority of your, your uh, perception of sweetness is actually going to come from. Yeah. Uh, you know, the alcohol and, uh, you know, all these other yeast active uh, flavor compounds. Well, you bring up the esters, and I think those are a very important component in perceived sweetness because, uh, you know, these esters are very fruity smelling. Um, They depend on, you know, the amount of them in the beer, 
and in your particular individual's association with those uh, ester aromas, that will, th those aromas may trigger um, the perception of sweetness in their palate mm -hmm. because so much of flavor is aroma. Right. You know, and there is that synergy between them. So, um, yeah, I think ester-derived sweetness perception is is a factor, a big factor. Oh, definitely. And you know, have you ever uh, you know smelled something and you you say, "Oh, that smells sweet." You know, it's got a sweetness to it. Right. Uh, you know, without tasting something, uh, you can identify something as being sweet or you know savory or um, you know, uh, bitter or, uh, you know, harsh or something like that. You know, there's just so many uh, descriptors that you might put on something and sweet is one of them. Sometimes it is, you look at, uh, you know, a cinnamon roll and you smell the cinnamon and yeah. there's other compounds in there that, you know, perhaps come from the frosting or whatever. That yep. give you, Caramels, that, yeah. you know, uh, you're thinking, Ooh, that's, that's sweet. You know, the, uh, and so, uh, you know, you've seen it with your eyes, you smelled it, you know, and then you, you, you're anticipating sweet as you, as you bite into it. The same thing can happen right. with a beer where you're anticipating, oh, this, this style of beer is sweet. Oh, look at the color. Oh, look at, you know, uh, you know, it's, or I brewed it this way. So mm -hmm. it's going to be sweet. And so you, you do have that perception. Um, you know, one of the things about the, the, Thing with the tasty when I tasted those two beers I really didn't know which one finished drier I didn't know right. I, I didn't know anything about the beers really um, you know before I tasted them uh, and you know so I'm, I'm pretty certain that <laughs> I was correct in my assessment that one was sweeter than the other I didn't have like any preconceived notion right. as to which right. one would be sweeter uh, so I think that that's uh, you know there's there's a true we need to you know, let go of the, you know, the old uh, uh, wisdom where, oh, you know, the beer finishes, you know, uh, higher, it's a sweeter beer. I think that that was back in the day when a lot of fermentations were incomplete, right? right? Yeah. And so uh, you were leaving behind a lot of maltose. You were leaving behind perhaps some simpler sugars because, People were not using adequate yeast. They weren't using healthy yeast. They were using, you know, packs of dry yeast that sat on top of, uh, you know, malt extract cans for a year in a, in a warm in a store. Uh, and then, you know, or they were using, you know, some bread yeast or something. And, right. you know, they ended up with a, a sweeter beer. And so, um, and that, I'm sure that still happens to this day. People are getting incomplete <laughs> fermentations. Yeah. But, you know, you have to let go of the idea that a higher finishing gravity means a sweeter beer. Uh, it means a lot of different things, but not necessarily a sweeter beer. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many times judging in competitions, you know, you'll, you'll pick up a beer and smell it. You know, it's the first thing you do when judging. And sometimes you can smell the sweetness, you know, and but then science tells us, oh, you really can't smell sweet. Mm -hmm. Well, what you can smell are the caramel compounds and, and other compounds that we, that we associate with sweetness. And mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. it, there, you know, ergo, it, it smells sweet. We then perceive it as tasting sweet. Mm -hmm. And then as, you know, we finish the beer, as, the, as we swallow, 
and the, we experience the finish of the beer, maybe that finish is dry or maybe it finishes, you know, uh, less dry. And, and there, that's where more of the uh, actual sweetness comes into play. Right. But uh, yeah, tasting perception, is very complicated. Uh, oh subject. yeah. You can, you can smell, uh, you know, uh, things that are sour. I mean, you can just yeah. tell something's something sour from, you know, whatever the organoleptic, uh, you know, thing is that, uh, you know, in your mind, uh, mm. you know, is sour compounds and, yeah. um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you don't have to taste your socks to know they're, they're funky. Right. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, going back to our, you know, our beers, our mash, you know, uh, we can adjust the residual, um, sugars in the inner mm -hmm. beer with our mash temps. Right. We can promote the, uh, the, you know, either high ferment, high fermentability or low fermentability. I did an experiment that with that, uh, for a homebrew con. Oh gosh, back in, I think it was 2005. A mm -hmm. um, couple of guys, we, when we were in Denver, I think we brewed, you know, same recipe, high, tem high mash temperature, low mash temperature. And it made a, you know, difference of a couple points in final gravity and, uh, you know, difference in the, in the profile of the beer as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and, um, you know, uh, so talking about what makes one beer sweeter than another, you know, mash temperatures, um, you know, did you really, you know, find one sweeter than the other or was, are they just different? One was maybe fuller. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, both of the beers were very well balanced. I don't remember there being, you know, you didn't taste one and say, oh, this is sweet. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't a three bears situation. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there was a difference in final gravity between the two and the, the, perception of the beer was one that was a little you know a little a bit sweeter than the other a mm. bit a bit fuller tasting um it was a bit drier but right. you know we're talking about small differences there in terms of the you know the balance of the beer was good right. it was just uh nuances of that mm -hmm. well and um you know i think you know uh, when people say oh you know mash higher for a sweeter beer you know yes and no um, you know, there's just such a slight sweetness to some of the longer chain sugars, you know, longer right. than maltose. Maltose itself uh, does have, uh, you know, a, a, a sweetness to it. It's less sweet than sucrose, but, um, you know, it's also generally, you know, flavorless. Um, doesn't really have a whole lot of flavor to it. Um, right. So, you know, it may add to that perception. And it, it, I think, the, you know, the experiment on a, you know, a, a, a low gravity beer, you know, something where you're trying to hit, you know, with 3% ABV versus something where you're trying to hit a 12 or 14% ABV. Right. Um, you may end up with more leftover short chain sugars on something bigger than you would on something smaller. And I think that makes a difference too. Um, you know, like we're saying, the mash temp can make, uh, you know, lend itself to a perception of fullness. Uh, and, you know, people say a lot of times people say mash temperature does not create body but i it really you know it really lends itself to that perception of fullness in my experience right right so i, I consider that part of body and so i think mash temperature is really most importantly 
kind of that body, a little bit of residual sweetness. I mean, it takes quite a bit of, uh, you know, points of leftover maltose uh, to add to that. And again, if you're using a yeast that attenuates well, and you're in the, you know, 6% range, 5, 6% range, you're not going to notice a huge difference because most of that maltose was taken up. If you're just leaving a tiny bit of maltose, extra maltose left over, it's going to add a little bit of sweetness, but not much. You know, when it gets to those longer, you know, raffinose and things like that, right? You know, there's almost no sweetness to it at all. So um, that's that's where we're talking about the, uh, you know, the polysaccharides when they become, you know, much longer chain. Um, it's you know the the sweetness uh, decreases. Um, so mash temps generally are not controlling sweetness. We gotta we gotta kind of let go of that. I think. Uh, tiny bit, but yeah, but fullness and body perception mm-hmm. of body perception viscosity can have some effect as well. Right, and like we were talking earlier, uh, that perception of body, that fullness, uh, is going to add to your your idea that you know the beer is sweeter as well. Right, right, right. Uh, yeast strains. Uh, now that's a big uh, you know part of uh, what creates a sweeter beer or a drier beer. Right. Um, you know, one of the, the big things is there are hoppy strains and malty strains. And people wonder, they're like, well, why, why does this, you know, increase the perception of hops or malt? Um, you know, it depends on, you know, some of the compounds that the yeast produce. It depends on, you know, how aggressively they uh, attenuate different sugars. Um, that has a major impact on, on sweetness. Um, right. You know, a, a, a malty English strain versus a really dry, you know, American uh, strain or Belgian strain is going to, um, you know, really change, um, uh, you know, the those yeast-derived flavor-active compounds that we're talking about. And so you're going to get more esters or fusel alcohols or, um, you know, uh, some of those things that uh, lend itself to the sweetness. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, different see. different lo- strains, such as even your lager strains, you know, tend to ferment maltotrios mm-hmm. uh, better than ale strains. So that's why we often perceive lagers, <clears throat> excuse me, often perceive lagers as being drier right. beers than mm-hmm. ales. Right, right. And you know, you know, Malta Trios, I believe, isn't isn't very sweet at all. But no. uh, the fact that the lager strain will go through the majority of the maltose mm-hmm. before it gets to Malta Trios and Raffinos, and um, that in itself, I think, is what's making it a drier, crisper. A uh, friend of mine, Travis, was asking, you know, why you know are lagers crisper than an ale? Why can't you make a crisp ale? Uh, you know, with a, with a, you know, you can make a crisp ale, but if you made the same beer with a lager yeast, does it turn out crisper? And I think one of the reasons is the lager yeast will tend to consume uh, more of the maltose and not leave as much maltose behind as the ale strains do. So that's a good point, John. Um, yeah, different strains are going to produce a different flavor profiles. Um, yep. the higher alcohols, uh, 2-phenylethanol is, uh, you know, oh, yeah. roses, sweetness. Uh, you know, a perfume. Uh, and again, people kind of will associate that sometimes with, uh, you know, a sweeter, uh, richer uh, 
character. Uh, esters, uh, ethyl acetate, that's also got a, a sweetness to it. That's also, you know, considered solventy or fruity. Right. Uh, you know, one of those things that you get, um, you know, in higher fermentations as well. Uh, 2-phenyl ethyl acetate, uh, roses, honey, apples, also sweet. Kind of, yeah. kind of sweet character to it. I often tend to confuse that one with uh, acetaldehyde because there is that 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 apple note or that uh, that raw apple. Yeah. So, um, and then again, then sometimes you can get uh, the honey aroma as well mm-hmm. um, from that, and I tend to associate that with uh, VDKs. So you know, there's different compounds that will create different perception in people's mm-hmm. minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times um, it's very difficult for people to isolate. Uh, I had somebody that worked for me and he was like, oh, this beer is full of diacetyl. Yeah, we, we brew a lager here and, uh, you know, we were, we've got a lab and we will test it, <laughs> but we also like to, you know, just do it by taste and, um, you know, just, just uh, taste the beer and see. And then we check it in the lab and we're like, okay, we were right or wrong, you know, VDK levels and we're okay. or good to package. And, um, uh, he would say, Oh my God, there's a ton of asshole in this. This is unbelievably <laughs> high. And then I'd taste it. I'm like, you know, when we were tasting separately. I'd say, yeah, it's good to go. We're ready to package. There's, there's no procedural yeah. diacetyl in here. And, uh, and so we'd run through the lab and then it would be below like nine, you know, it was, it was so low that, you know, there's no way. So I'm not sure what compounds were triggering this, you know, perception of diacetyl, you know, for this guy. Uh, but there was, there was something he was sensing that he thought was diacetyl that wasn't. So, and, and I see it in competitions as well in judging, you know, I'll be judging with somebody and they'll go, oh, you know, ton of diacetyl. I'm like, I'm, I'm, the, the weird thing is I'm okay with diacetyl as, as a compound in beer. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I, I like a little bit in, uh, you know, a little bit more in British ales. I'm actually, you know, kind of a, a fan of getting a little bit. Uh, and in all ales, it adds again to the, to the fullness uh, perception. It can add a bit of a, uh, you know, uh, sweetness or butterscotch uh, compound to a beer, or at least the, the perception of that. And um, so, you know, it's not completely this horrible, evil thing that needs to be eradicated at all costs, right. which has driven us to, you know, a lot of the uh, West Coast uh, ale cleanness and crispness, which um, is great. Uh, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying, you know, there's other styles of beer out there. And a little bit yeah. of diacetyl swine. Anyways, uh, yeah. So, you know, by um, being able to check in the lab and, you know, taste and check and taste and check, able to, you know, when we had a, a point where the lab uh, wasn't available, we weren't able to do, um, what problem did we have that we weren't able to run VDKs? Uh, anyways, um, so, I, you know, you can, you can taste and, and be certain if you know exactly what diacetyl tastes like in beer, right. uh, the vinyl dyke tones, um, you can, uh, you know, be certain of what you're doing. And I think that's a, 
a skill that homebrewers need to evolve because, um, you know, homebrewers often don't have access to the equipment to, to run a VDK uh, sample. So, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being able to take a sensory course where you can, you know, smell, uh, sample the, uh, the the standards, you know, for diacetyl, for acetaldehyde, for other compounds, um, really is very, very instructive. I mean, you know, to be able to isolate that compound and see what it smells like to you and helps you identify it better in competitions. I remember the first time you and I met. Do you remember what that when that was? I I think it would have been the MCAB. It was the MCAB, the Masters yeah. Championship of Amateur Brewing. Is that what MCAB yeah. stands for? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in it was in Berkeley. Yep. And what year might that have been? Two thousand or two thousand one. Right. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe 2002, but yeah, it might've been earlier than that. Uh, and you and I sat next to each other during a sensory thing where they were sending around pictures of, uh, like, Oh yeah. Budweiser, Bud Light with, you know, dosed with various things. And, uh, we were going through it and I remember, you know, uh, going like, oh, yeah, John knows his stuff. This is, this is, this is pretty exciting. I'm, I'm sitting next to John Palmer. <laughs> and meanwhile i'm thinking i'm sitting next to jamil <laughs> this guy's oh, yeah. smart uh yeah and then uh boy that was i still remember that to this day that's where yeah. uh i got that story about uh you know uh, brewing uh takes germans and stainless steel and all that that was the fritz maytag thing he also oh yeah yeah about uh, uh perception of uh you know something uh you know or the story that's behind right. something change can change your perception i keep uh, I keep harping on that. Um, recently, on Beer Advocate, I was answering some questions about that, and I, I was talking about how perception is so important, in in or, or your uh, your preconceived notions so important about what your perception is. And yeah, yeah, I get a little bit of time. I'll tell the Fritz Maytag story. So yeah, he was uh, there. George Fix was there. George Fix was there. I met George Fix for the first time. Yeah. He's a great hero of mine. Yeah. Um, the uh you know the fritz maytag story he was he was telling a story he said uh if you uh let's say i'm invited to dinner uh to your house and uh it's up in the foothills and i go up there and uh with dinner you bring out two bottles of wine and you say hey this one right here it has uh received a very high score on whatever the wine mm -hmm. point scoring thing is it's you know 98 points and this one here uh it hasn't been scored. It's something I made myself. Uh, we grew the grapes here. You know, my, my grandfather, he planted the grapes on this property. And, you know, when he came to America, you know, a hundred years ago. Right, right. And uh, uh, so we picked the grapes and uh, I used, uh, you know, his old recipe for, you know, fermenting and all this and, and his old, uh, you know, uh, big, uh, you know, uh, the, the same wine barrels that he used. And, uh, you know, that's the wine that I made. Uh, and, and Fritz is like, you know, I'd go with the, the, the wine with the story every time. And that one's going to taste better to me because it's got, some, I, he told a beautiful yeah. story and I'm right. I'm, right. I, I remember that. Here. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's always going to, you know, taste better. It's always going to be more interesting to me. And it's the one I'm going to want to have because, you know, there's a rich background to it. It's not just, yeah, right. there's something I bought. 
you know, or, you know, story makes a, you know, your, will change your perceptions. If Tasty told me, uh, you know, oh, um, you know, oh, I've got a, another story. <laughs> yeah, I got time. <laughs> you guys, you guys all stay and listen. Uh, so, uh, you know, Dave Sapsis. Yes. So Dave Sapsis is my sensei. He, he yep. taught me a lot about judging beer. And uh, when, uh, when I was uh, starting out, we used to drive up, or I drove, and he rode along, uh, up to uh, the Washoe Zephyr Zymergist up in Reno. Uh, mm. Good friends up there, John Tall and uh, yeah. Ron, a whole, whole bunch of wonderful people up there. They taught me a lot about judging and, and uh, just being a wonderful homebrew club. They used to have their competition once a year. And we'd drive up there, uh, Dave and I, and uh, we'd judge, and uh, I'd also enter the competition. Well, uh, one year, uh, he was judging uh, uh, German loggers, and okay. also judged the best of show. And he, uh, you know, a, a bunch of the rest of us, since I entered, I couldn't be in best of show, because apparently one of my beers was in there, or a few. And... Um, during that judging, you know, all the rest of us were standing around kind of listening in on the best of show judging. And I remember there was a, a, a North German Pilsner in there that Dave had, you know, given first place to and really loved, but, uh, and everyone else was crazy about it. I'm thinking, you know, that's going to be the best of show beer. I didn't know it was my beer at the time, but then, uh, you know, Dave's comments on it, he goes, yeah, but I think it's just still, you know, a little, just a touch too sweet. Uh, to be best of show. And so they gave the best of show to something else. Well, lo and behold, shortly after that, I find out that that was my German, North German pills in there. Nice. And uh, well, it didn't get best of show. Uh, so um, on the drive back, I think Dave and I were talking about it and I'm like, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, it's just a little too sweet. I said, I, you know, I thought I was spot on. He thought it needed a little, be a little drier. And I always, you know, I respect him and all the other judges. So I'm like, okay, right. uh, it needs to be a little drier. So fast forward a year and I brew the beer again. Uh, I lower the mash temp and I get the thing to finish out uh, a few points lower. I taste it. I'm like, spot on. Uh, you know, I made it drier uh -huh. and uh, enter in the same competition. Dave and I drive up there again. Lo and behold, he ends up judging German <laughs> loggers because he loves German loggers. And um, I think it gets like second place or third place. And I'm like, well, what happened? You know, it wasn't perfect. Um, you know, there's two other beers better than that. And uh, so afterwards, uh, well, you know, I found out afterwards that I got that. Mm -hmm. And so on the drive back, because he would hand out your sheets and, and announce the awards right there at the end of the competition, which was nice. On the drive back, I tell Dave, I'm like, well, you know, uh, that was my North German pills in there that got like second place. And, and uh, I said, you know, I made it drier than, you know, last year. And he says, he goes, that was your beer? He says, oh, okay. He goes, I thought that it was sweeter than the one from the previous year, from, uh, you know, the year before in Best of Show. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, okay. Old man's, you know, losing his mind. He doesn't know. 
doesn't know what, uh, you know, what's what, you know, this one was drier. I, I lowered my mash temperature and, you know, it attenuated out further. So it's gotta be drier. Right. And, uh, so he's like, well, you know, I could be wrong, you know, it was a year ago and, and maybe I'm mistaken. You know, he's very gracious about it. Right. Right. You can tell, you know, you don't, you don't cross somebody who's, you know, talking about their competition scores or whatever. That's right. And so uh, I go home and I've happened to save bottles of that German Pilsner from the previous year. Oh, I've got the two for side by side. They've been refrigerated the whole time. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's a year, but you know, good refrigeration will really uh, preserve a beer. So I have my wife pour me a blind triangle test. And in the blind triangle test, one of the beers is clearly sweeter. You know, it's it's a small difference, but Mm -hmm. clearly, you know, I was able to pick it out, you know, from the the triangle test. Yeah. And it turns out that that was the the newest beer, the current beer. (laughs) So I, I brewed it at a lower mash temperature. It attenuated more, but it was sweeter. So... Thus, I learned a couple of things. One is about beer memory and that Dave is rarely wrong on his beer memory. A year <laughs> apart, he could tell the difference between those two beers. Yeah, and that yeah. taught me that I needed to improve my beer memory. And so one of the things I try and do now is kind of uh, lock in beer experiences in my mind. You know, what exactly were the perceptions that I had about a different beer? It's why I can't remember people's names. Right. Because there's other important stuff. I'm filling yeah. my mind with, uh, you know, these notes about, you know, various beers so that when I have them again, I can compare and contrast. So it taught me that and also taught me about mash temperature really isn't the thing that makes this big difference in, uh, you know, sweetness of beer. It's For all sure. these other things about beer. It's, you know, how much you pitch. It's, uh, you know, what strain you use, although I use the same strain, I, I probably pitched the same amount of yeast, but, you know, it's slight temperature differences. It's, you know, slight, slight little things that all add up to, you know, a slightly different beer. So, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, then there's the hopping of the two. Whichever. Right. It could be that the hops that I use were different crop of hops, the malt that I use, a different crop of, of malt. You right. know, when you're apart, how they're grown, all that makes a big difference. And I did not have the, you know, I was fairly new then still, and I didn't have the knowledge about all these different things that I do now. And so that really, uh, you know, can make a significant difference. Uh, so that, that uh, wild rambling and aside, <laughs> uh, I've, I've found it quite fun to reminisce with you about uh, the time, the first time we met. I, I can that still was... see you sitting to the right of me and uh, the notes. And I was like, ah, I think I got one wrong and you got it right. And I'm like, Oh man, that jump. <laughs> man, he knows his stuff. Uh, I was working hard. That was, that was a great competition. Or, or, or you just guessed. Yeah. Know. That might've been it too. Knowing me. Yeah. <laughs> <You got lucky. laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about residual sugar because residual sugar can have, uh, you know, an, an enormous impact on, right. uh, you know, the, the, the sweetness of beer. And I, it, like we were talking before, this is where um, uh, it comes in, where, uh, you know, the, the old uh, mindset of, um, you know, a, a higher finishing gravity will give right. you, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, more greater, sweetness greater yeah. sweetness right but 
the, the, the thing is, you know, again, if you attenuate more and, you know, you still leave behind a lot of glucose, you're going to end up with a sweeter beer. So, uh, you know, it just depends on, because glucose is quite sweet. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, the residual sugar is mainly fermentation uh, related. Uh, your, your specific gravity, your starting specific gravity, the yeast, and the limits, uh, you know, the yeast strain like we're talking about, and your yeast limits. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to push a beer beyond 15%, uh, you know, you're going right. to end up with some residual sugars. We did a beer, 16.5% uh, hazy IPA called Amnesia Juice. And uh, we did that with uh, Cal Ale yeast, or Cal Ale yeast, or uh, our hazy strain, or both. Um, and Cal Ale yeast, they'll they'll tell you it's like, yeah, you know, fourteen percent, maybe fifteen percent. I've done some fifteen percent beers with it before, so I just kind of wanted to see how much further it would go. And so we got to sixteen and a half pretty easy, but it started crapping out and leaving behind uh, glucose, or you know, the the uh, I guess the right hand form of glucose we're using dextrose right. in it, which is for all those uh, reading along Corn dextrose sugar. is really um, uh, it's glucose. It's the, uh, the right hand version of glucose. The left hand version of glucose doesn't ferment. The right hand version does. Yeah. Dextrose, corn sugar, glucose mm-hmm. synonymous. All the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, well, pitching uh, rate, I mean, Oh, okay. Oh, pitching rate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's going to, that's going to affect your fermentation. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect, you know, the, the total yeast mass, the rate of fermentation. It's, it's, um, pitching rate, I think is, is definitely another factor to keep in mind when, right. you know, looking at what the perception of sweetness from beer is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and uh, yeah, uh, te- you know, fermentation temperature, oxygen, uh, nutrients, yeah. all that stuff is going to kind of you know, play around with, again, all those uh, yeast-derived uh, flavor-active compounds that we're talking about. Right, right. You know, what you get out of fermentation is determined by the setup for fermentation. It's like, you know, think about it like, uh, you know, I don't know, golf shot or archery or whatever. It's the setup that determines where the arrow is going to go. You know, for example, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the bow, it's your stance, it's your draw, it's, you know, the angle, it's, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, there's some windage that, that comes into play, but you're trying to adjust for the windage. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's that moment that you've, you're getting ready to launch fermentation that determines where the arrow is going to land. And so uh, and where your, your fermentation is going to finish, you have some adjustment along the way, uh, maybe with temperature or something like that, or additional oxygen additions. But generally, it's the setup that determines, you know, how, how that's going to go and how sweet your finish is going to be. Yeah. Dr. Michael Lewis had a really good talk a number of years ago where he basically said, if you're trying to brew the same beer, you need to have the same fermentation. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. And you change one thing, different fermentation, different beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I harp on that here uh, at Heretic. Uh, you know, it's why I want you know pH readings every day, uh, gravity readings every day, because that tells you that everything's tracking the same. Those are two easy things to monitor every day that 
there you go. You know, if it's doing the same thing, you know, this fermentation as it did, you know, the last 100 fermentations, we're good. You know, it's going to yeah, be the same. Yeah. Here. Um, and then adjuncts, um, you know, like I was saying, when we're adding, uh, you know, trying to drive oh, one past up to, you know, its highest level, right. uh, we added, you know, dextrose, uh, and eventually you add so much that it just, and it's not able to finish. You've got that left over in the beer. Uh, mm-hmm. unfermentable sugars, uh, like we talked about the mash, all that, um, right. you know, that's going to give you some residual sugars, even if it's all maltose, if all the maltose doesn't get attenuated, uh, maltose, you know, it's like what, two thirds of Swedish sugar or something like that. Right. Right. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's going to have an effect and the timing of those, those additions, uh, can, can make a make a difference and malt related like matt was you know talking about recipes heavy in crystal malt right um crystal malts do uh add in a bunch of unfermentable sugar and it is sweet um some of the sugars in crystal malt are fermentable you know any any brewing software that tells you it's 100 percent unfermentable um is incorrect the same thing on on some of the uh, the dark malts, uh, like that's how they make Sinmar. They they actually ferment it. They get a tiny bit of fermentation mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah, uh, and that way it's it's still Reinheitsgebot to add uh, Sinmar to your uh, to your beer. Uh, any crystal malts, unfermentable sugars, uh, lactose. I oh yeah, actually mm-hmm. got a bit of sweetness to it. I think it's sweet. It's got to be sweeter than de- uh, than uh, uh, maltodextrin. Right, um, maltodextrin's tasteless. Yeah, tasteless and 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 not yeah not sweet at all. And um, supposedly, what, what do people use it for? Adding body to a beer, something like that. Yeah, body. Yeah. But uh, I think there's easier ways of doing that, and that's that's mm-hmm. mash up. I guess if you're uh, you know working with extract only or something like that, and any other unfermentable sugars you might you might add will of course affect your. Uh, fermentation or your uh, perception of sweetness right right uh what are you, any other thoughts about uh, uh sweetness and dryness yeah i think i think we've covered the main points i mean mash temperatures uh, ingredients adjuncts fermentation um all of those things you know really play a role in in pr- the production of the aromas of the beer Mm-hmm. And then there, thereby the f- perception of flavors of the beer. Um, certainly, you know, different yeast strains ferment, you know, um, even among ale strains, you know, big differences in the fermentability, the types of sugars they consume and the, and the degree to which they'll consume them. As you say, there can be leftover maltose in the beer. There's going to be leftover maltotriose, which is a three-sugar saccharide. Um, then you have maltotetriose, which is a four-sugar saccharide that's generally not fermented, but, uh, you know, and, it's something. And not really sweet. Right, and not really sweet. But again, it adds that body, and it has a, a flavor that you would associate with sweet beers different yeast strains will ferment those sugars differently and that will also affect the perception of sweetness of the beer mm-hmm. now going back to the you know uh the original uh post here um you know when you have the same beer side by side or you know same recipe side by side um you know same same yeast strain 
Um, now we're looking a little deeper, but uh, yeah. Well, and I'd say, you know, when you're, when you're trying to analyze what the result is of whatever change you made, try and do it blind, have somebody pour you yes. a blind triangle test and see it. Because if you get in your mind that something, you know, like I was saying, I, I had in my mind that the beer I brewed was drier because I uh, took those steps. That's right. If I had maybe taken a moment to think about it uh, and try it side by side with the other beer, I would have realized that it wasn't. Uh, so, uh, you know, my, my preconceived notions that what I had done had made a drier beer uh, is what got me into trouble there. Uh, right. You know, and I think it's the same thing about maybe the Lagunitas beers. People hear that you know, they use mash temperatures in the 160s and they're like, oh, no, that's really sweet. It, it tends to be really full, but not really sweet. So they, you know, also attenuating well. So it's, you know, it's a balancing act. They use a lot of hops. They use a lot of bittering. Right. That, that tends to balance it as well. And then also the, it's the kind of alcohols. I, I can't stress enough. It's the kind of alcohols, esters, and other compounds you, um, uh, you know, get through fermentation that make the difference. And that's where sweetness is really developed. Uh, right there. Right. All right. An excellent show. Thank you very much, Matt from Virginia, on uh, you know sparking this idea. Sorry, it took me uh, over eight years to, uh, to to get to it, but you know uh, th this is proof. If nothing, I am. We will uh, get to them. I, I am thorough, and we'll eventually get to every question. Like I like I said, we will will plow through that thing. And if you have. Uh, Questions for Bruce Strong, uh, you send it to uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And we actually do get all those emails. You get like a, a form thing back saying we, we can't, you know, answer all these, you know, emails with email, but we get them on the show and we make sure that we're covering all those questions because we know how important it is to all of you. Yep. And I want to tell you how important uh, our good friend John Blickman at blickmanengineering.com is to us that he pays for the show so justin allows us to uh you know keep uh meeting like this right <laughs> having fun so uh make sure send him a nice email at feedback at bookmanengineering.com and if you get a chance you know check out the cool stuff that they got on their website they're always innovating uh creating new and uh useful and unique uh pieces of brewing gear uh anything from you know homebrew to professional uh if you want to set up a uh uh, you know, even a production brewery, they're, they're producing uh, equipment of that size now. So oh, yeah. uh, check it out, give them a shot. Uh, good people. Uh, and, you know, that's all you need to know. So uh, thanks then. And until then, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everyone.